welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on this episode to discuss Black Books, it's writer, critic, and showrunner for the Not Just For Kids podcast, it's Russell Bailey. Russell was kind enough to jump onto the show and discuss one of my absolute personal favourites, and that is, of course, Black Books. Black Books is quite a unique sitcom. In many ways, it's very different to a lot of the shows that we've discussed on this podcast, and we get into the reasons as to why and what works for this show exactly, including, of course, the characters, the performances, the writing style, and so much more. This was such a fun conversation, and I really cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. This is Black Books with Russell Bailey. Hello, Russell, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat to you today. Likewise, my friend. So, yeah, you're continuing the uh, sitcom summer for us, and you've brought a personal favourite of mine, and I'm so, so happy. I feel like I'm being really self-indulgent the last few episodes, but (laughs) it's totally fine. Uh, That is, of course, Black Books. So I'll hand it over to you. When did you first see this show, and why did you choose to bring it uh, to the podcast? So I, um, when I was growing up as a teenager, I watched basically all the Channel 4 comedy shows. So Black Books is a Channel 4 sitcom from the early 2000s. And around that time, I definitely watched all the stuff on Channel 4. So I was watching Father Ted, Spaced, uh, Black Books, and a few others. But Black Mm -hmm. Books is the one that's kind of lingered with me and it's kind of stayed with me ever since. Like I revisit revisit Father Ted and I find it really fascinating. Uh, I revisit Space and I think it's phenomenally directed. But the one that speaks to me as I get older and older and older is black books it's it's the makeup of it <laughs> um i find myself a weird combination between two of its lead characters and yeah and so i watch this fairly often fairly often and it's only 18 episodes so i blast through it fairly often in like a week or two i watch mm. all the episodes and it brings me great comfort but it's also this wonderfully grounded sitcom that doesn't go too far off into being too optimistic it doesn't really tell me that the world is a great mm. place and i just I found myself really drawn into what it is. Plus the lead three, I just love. We'll probably get into each of them, but yeah, it's yeah. got this di- this fantastic trio at its core. And I just, yeah, I adore this and I've, I, I, yeah, I've revisited it many a time. So that's why I brought it to you because when you put this thing up for someone to talk about their favourite sitcoms, I have other sitcoms that I love, but the one that I revisit mm-hmm. the most is probably Black Books because again, not a great many episodes, Episodes are short, easy, and you can pick mm. them up and put them down. And uh, I guess they mean a lot to me because my formative comedy years was with a show like this and a few other Channel 4 ones. It was, this is my comedy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's brilliant. And that is definitely a running theme that we've had throughout this uh, particular series is, yeah, the, the formative years, people growing up watching a certain show and just gravitating towards them. I feel like it says a lot about people you know, in terms of the particular show that you gravitate towards. And I'd love to get into this with you because I feel like this reveals a lot about your personality there, Russell. (laughs) (laughs) Identifying heavily with with the kind of crazy, almost nihilistic, chaotic style of show. I mean, I love it. I will preface that by saying, like you, this is one I revisit quite often Mm. because, as you say, it's an absolute breeze. But you're right. It's so fascinating. I mean, Actually, it's occurred to me um, at the time of recording that a vast majority of the episodes I've done, I think actually all of them up till now have been American sitcoms. Yeah. And we have got a run now coming off of, of a few British shows. And it has been commented on by previous guests that there is definitely a difference. Like you mentioned optimism. That is definitely a, a key most of the time, not all, but most of the American sitcoms have that. Um, whereas I feel like this is a good example of british comedy at its best where it's like these kind of almost like dour characters that they're all lovable in their own way but they're also not the best people (laughs) they all kind of like curmudgeonly but you kind of can't help but enjoy watching them and and watching them get into all sorts of weird scrapes uh with each other and with other wonderful guest characters that just pop in and out of the show yeah absolutely and i mean the american thing is so that i do have american sitcoms i love but the ones yeah. I love tend to run too long. So I, I 
<laughs> I love Friends up until a point, and then it carries mm-hmm. on. And I love The Simpsons. I think The Simpsons at its at its peak is probably the best sitcom, but mm. its peak was a very long time ago. So the the sitcoms that mean the most to me are the ones that are short and and sweet and just there for a brief moment and you get a few episodes mm. and you really want more, but you don't get more. And that's that's just how it works. You just don't get any more of a show like Black Books. True. But then I feel like that's a good thing. You know, this is the kind of show... Uh, very much in the vein of like you know the office or, or you mentioned it crowdfather ted you know yeah. similar creators where yeah it kind of runs its course you know and that's totally fine i think there's there's nothing wrong with that that's just um i don't know personally i feel like that makes it almost more enjoyable because you know what i mean you've you've got something that's perfectly preserved and it just kind of went out when it needed to yeah. to go out so for anyone who doesn't know then this show it's quite an interesting premise isn't it it's basically about this guy that just runs a, a bookshop in london and it feels quite quaint now but it i don't know i i've i heard from behind the scenes that, that dylan moran was drawn to this idea because he always thought it was quite an interesting just an interesting place to exist even back in the early 2000s you felt like it was a dying industry it was something that like this doesn't have a place anymore in the modern world and that was over 20 years ago yeah and so i feel like it's it's really interesting looking back on it now like yeah so please talk to me about it yeah and and so it's perhaps the running thread through the show uh, is that so uh bernard black runs a bookshop but hates people so he runs yep. it poorly. It is uh, increasingly uh, a filthy place to be. And that is a comedy beat that comes up a couple of times. There's a couple of episodes where it's about just how uh, filthy a place it is. And he has no desire to keep it up, no desire to be around people. And then one of the most famous episodes, I think, is where Simon Pegg cameos and this big, it's called mm. Goliath Books in a in a not very subtle joke, but a really funny joke. So one of those big yeah. chain uh, bookshops opens next door and it becomes a thing. And they previously have had an episode of the show where they try and emulate what a big bookshop does. And there's that whole conversation going on uh, in this show about these little shops and, and really there's no place for them. So like Fran, who mm. is one of our core trio, spends the first series with a shop of her own. And then it's not really mentioned, but then her shop closes and then you see it close next mm. door to it. And it's not... It's not this big plot point, but it is this thing that clearly happens. And Fran goes through this process of struggling to find work for the rest of the show. And yeah. it's just these really interesting uh, underlying conversations happening that are kind of beneath the sort of wacky day-to-day stuff they do. So each episode is kind of self-contained mm. and has a setup. And there's often this uh, instant that's happened that, that then spurns other instances after that. And then culminate at the end. But then at the same time, that kind of conversation about the fact that things like bookshops are dying, things like shops, independent shops don't really have a place. And this was in 2000. So this was a long, mm. long time before we are now. And we basically, it's, it's, it's just happened. So he just basically saw mm. in advance where we were heading, which is that shops like this won't survive. And maybe Bernard Black's bookshop, bookshops shouldn't survive. Maybe the, how poorly run it is and how <laughs> terribly is it running it is just it shouldn't survive because he is abusive to his customers he yep. opens and closes it when he wants uh yeah. he stocks whatever <laughs> he wants and he doesn't seem to care about making money so he'll pay mm. people to take books to go away because he just doesn't want to be around people so you're kind of mm. curious as to why this person has a bookshop has a has a customer facing role because he just hates people and endearingly so i really like bernard black in this even if he is uh not a nice he's not a nice character he's uh mean and abusive to his only real friend manny and Mm. fran and yeah he's just not a nice person but he's endearingly not nice in a really british sitcom kind of way how much is this three pounds ah is there something wrong with your head are you wagging it to say, no, there's nothing wrong with my head, or is it just uncontrollable? Uh, Perhaps you'd like me to put the price down. Well, I was thinking two pounds. Because three pounds is just naked profiteering for a book <laughs> mere 912 pages long. What'll I do with that extra pound? I'll add an acre to the grounds. I'll 
Chuck some more koi carp in my piano-shaped pond. No, I know. I'll build a wing on the National Gallery with my name on it. Two fifty. That's more like it. Hmm. Now you're being reasonable. Two fifty gets you this much. You can have the rest when you come back with the other fifty p. But you thank you. Yeah, it's it gives you real sort of faulty towers kind of vibes. Like if anyone loves that show, I would say like this is a really good jumping off point into that because it's that same kind of thing of that, like you say, that protagonist that clearly doesn't enjoy <laughs> people. And there's something I find kind of cathartic about that as someone who I don't know about you yourself, but if you've ever worked in a customer facing role in retail or like things like that, there is some catharsis in watching a character being kind of mean and saying things that you know most of us wouldn't dare say (laughs) to people you know it was like it kind of reminds me of what i was saying with um with petros we talked about seinfeld it's that thing of like you wouldn't you don't condone the bad behavior yeah but you kind of secretly enjoy it because you're almost like yeah i wish i could say something like that to people sometimes um but of course it doesn't always work out for them but no i think i think bernard black is I feel like it's just Dylan Moran just being Dylan Moran. Like, have yeah. you seen any of his, his stand I, I have. I've managed to go and see him live once or twice, oh, maybe. And he, he's incredible. I mean, it is, is for me a bit like sitcom as jazz because it was all, he just would jump around a lot, but clearly knew what he was doing. He's one of the best stand-ups I've ever seen because he's just, yeah. do it. he goes at his own beat and his own pace and then jumps from whatever subject he wants to jump to. And he goes on random mm. tangents, which is, not dissimilar to the show itself. The show itself has random yeah. tangents, has these surreal interludes. So there's this episode where the A and B plots, the A plot is that they are trying to become a proper bookshop that sells nice coffee and yeah. does lunch. And then the B plot is that Fran is trying to find her more of her family. And then there's this mm. weird thing going through with these creatures that we never see. And they're just going oh, through that. killing yes. them and tallying them up. And that's all it is. And it's it's this hilariously random tangent that's running through this entire episode that isn't picked up ever again and is just in this episode. But it's just that kind yeah. of humour that comes from Dylan Moran being one of the creators and one of the writers and this being mm. very much his baby. It's, that's, it's his comedy is is infused in this. Yeah, very much so. And I love how the episode ends. I think, wasn't it, with Manny just grabs something in a pot yeah. and just goes... I got the queen and it just ends like that. Yeah. And then like you said, it's never referenced. Yeah, it's again. just and the one episode and it's done kind of thing. But that's the thing that, that caught me off guard when I, after watching this show, then found some Dylan Moran stand up and I thought, oh yeah, and I watched it. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was just, it was very funny to watch his stand up and be like, oh, <laughs> oh, he's just being himself in that show. Yeah. Like it's, it's basically like he's written that show for himself. And like you said, it's got that kind of loose... I love the word jazz, like you said. That's perfect analogy. Mm. Fast and loose kind of quality. But it's it's really funny to watch. And like you say, as a main character, he does have that Basil Fawlty, Jerry Seinfeld kind of thing of like, yeah, you don't like him particularly, but you kind of do. You kind yeah. of like seeing him get up to things and just being a bit of a jerk to people and... You know, one of my favourite interactions is when some guy's desperately trying to get into the bookshop to buy a book and he just hands him something on a shelf and is like, read this, it'll change your life. And he was just like trying his best to get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> and all the stuff like that he does is brilliant. What? Uh, I'd like to buy a book. Here's one. <laughs> no, I was... This one's very, very good. Oh. oh, is it? Yes. You'll laugh, you'll cry, it'll change your life. <laughs> Five ninety nine. All right, OK. Oh, my, my change? Uh, can you come back later? Well, no, I'm not coming back this way. Where do you live? 17 Galaxy Gardens. OK. Now go there and await my instructions. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so he's a character who I am more than happy to spend 25 minutes with each episode, but never want to meet him, never want to go out for a drink with... Oh, no. ...with Bernard no. Black. He's not one of those <laughs> characters, but that's what makes him brilliant. And he's not... Because Black Books is slightly detached from our reality, it's slightly surreal. Mm. It has these touches that make it not our world. It's not like The Office yeah. where uh, David Brent is like someone you could meet. You're unlikely yes. to meet someone like Bernard Black who runs a bookshop like this. It's not 
yeah, going to happen, true. but it makes it all the more enjoyable for me to watch this show because it's just slightly detached, just slightly moved away. Kind of like in Faulty Towers, how uh, the sets wobble. And so that yes. means that you're not in um, our reality because the sets are wobbling. And yes, uh, John Cleese, mm. whenever that happens, will like check the wall and make sure it's okay as if it's part of it. It's still wobbly sets. And so you're yeah. kind of given that kind of like slight displacement from what's going on, which makes it even funnier for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, the way he just talks to a lot of the people, like you're like, yeah, no one has conversations like that in real <laughs> life. But it makes it more enjoyable, mm. you know. And I just I just flash another one in my brain of that. There's a guy who asks him if they're leather bound books. And just then he I think he replies with something like, you know, with pounds, is it leather bound pounds? And he's like, No, then I don't want it. And just like <laughs> the little silly conversations like that, like you said, that give it this sort of heightened reality, but make it also really, really enjoyable. Yeah. And Something we talked about a lot on this show is, and you've already touched upon it, is the fact that you need a good core cast of people. You need people to bounce off each other. And I feel like he's a fa- it's fascinating how a character that is that kind of nihilistic and narcissistic in many ways bounces off the other two really well. And it just it's quite funny, like you said, his... I mean, you've already mentioned him, obviously, the legend in comedy that is Bill Bailey. Yeah. And his kind of interplay as, as Manny and Bernard, I think it's... It's a hilariously dysfunctional relationship and they, they heighten those tropes up quite a lot. Like they really play up to them almost being like an old married couple <laughs> within like an episode of knowing each other. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Bill Bailey is one of the key trio and this is kind of mm. very early Bill Bailey. This is before he became the national treasure that he is now. And so, mm. but it's all that, all the stuff that you love about Bill Bailey is in this character, all the stuff that makes him endearing and it is their interplay. So there's the wonderful episode where they drink a very expensive bottle of wine and so they have to then make one and it becomes (laughs) absurd and heightened and like dips into sort of universal monsters of the thirties and how it's being set up. And that with Bernard Black as the, as the crazed scientist and Manny as his (laughs) um, crippled assistant, because Manny gets increasingly crippled throughout that episode because he eats toffee and he uses a a neck massager that cripples him. And it's all these things built in, but yeah. The interplay between Bailey and Moran is is fantastic. And mm. and then you add into that mix, you've got Tamsin Grieg, who is, I mean, mm. a mainstay of Channel 4 comedy. So she's done Green Wings, she's done Friday Night Dinner. Mm. I'll be honest, I almost picked Friday Night Dinner for this or suggested that because ah, Friday okay. Night Dinner, while it's more grounded in our reality, is, is an exceptional comedy. And it feels almost mm. at times that there's a through line from her work in black books to something like Friday night dinner and that her mm. comedy sensibilities. Cause she's, she, right. She's acceptable at playing off whoever she's with. She is yes. an exceptional actor and not a, not a stand-up comedian, but an actual actor. So I've watched her do 12th mm. night at the national theater where she was Malvolio. And uh, I wow. think I've seen her much do about nothing, but yeah, so she's a proper actor and yet she manages to meet the energy of the other two perfectly. And that's, yeah. that's, I think that's why I love this one the most is because the trio is uh, so watertight and their chemistry is so spot on, even from the first episode. Even the first time mm. we meet them, their chemistry is there and it just means that whatever japes get up to, whatever direction the show goes, it works because of those three characters are so mm. immediately well-defined and connected to each other. And as you say, like you get the two... Uh, you get Manny and Bernard uh, playing off each other as a sort of quasi-married couple. And we get to like a point yeah. where Manny will leave occasionally and then Bernard kind of yeah. falls apart and gets angry and, and destructive. Yeah. And then Manny comes back to rescue him. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's really well judged. It's this, yeah, it's just something I love. And, and it's a really good use, I think, of, as you say, Tamsin Growth character, Fran, because she doesn't then just become the love interest for somebody. She's more like the mum of the group like she's the one that has to get in between yeah. them sometimes and like give them a bit of a slap around the head and but then she can also be just as dysfunctional at times and it's it makes it a really interesting character to watch and i seem to recall i think even in the first it might be the first or the second episode i think it's the seconds because you've they're they're sort of all coming together and i think manny outrightly asked bernard you know like oh did you you know yeah. did you you yeah. know and he just advances around and he's like come out with it there and then he's like oh did you guys sleep together and then he's all bashful and then he's suddenly and he just the way he shuts that whole thing down is like oh yeah it happened but you know 
I'm not allowed to remember it. And it's, just, <laughs> it's played off as a dumb joke yeah. like that. And it, immediately that whole trope of the will they won't, it's, just, it's gone. Yeah. You're kind of like, oh, okay, we're not doing that. And it makes it so much more interesting then whenever Fran does turn up because she's just completely her own entity and she's allowed to just do whatever she wants, whether it's, you know, um, entering a job where she has no idea what she's <laughs> doing and, you know, or, <laughs> or she's competing for wall space quite literally yeah. with someone else in a flat and all these really weird things that she gets to do. And then she also gets to be dysfunctional and a borderline alcoholic with Bernard at the same time. And yeah, it just makes it really interesting then when all these characters get together. There's no stereotypes, there's no tropes. It's just whatever happens is going to happen. And you you mentioned alcohol there. It, black books is not about books, it's about alcohol. They're, they really don't care <laughs> about books. They occasionally will make references to books. There is a fantastic episode where they um, write a children's book. But apart from that, books just aren't really a thing in this show. And so it is about them consuming a, subs- a, a huge amount of alcohol. Um, and many episodes <laughs> revolve, revolve around that fact. And it's another one of the constants that runs through is that they just drink a lot. And in Fran's case, smoke a lot. And they're quite destructive together. But uh, I, so when I was at university, which is one of the many times I revisited this, I enjoyed mm far too many drinks university and so that kind of destructive quality is there at that point that you just that they kind of have mm. but yeah alcohol is so integral to this show and and not not in a way that is exploring of why it's fun to drink it's just because it's funny when they're drunk or it's funny when mm. manny drinks all of uh, bernard's absinthe or they have some <laughs> yeah. weird random alcohols <laughs> at the end of the last episode they've taken from a party it's just yeah. a lot of the comedy yeah of alcohol is is in here and it's done really well old wine is good wine yes but expensive wine is good wine also yes but the older the wine is the gooder it is (laughs) ah but by the same token the more expensive the wine then the gooder it is also oh look at the colors yeah all, all the colours. Yeah. Well, yellow. This is like a, a farmyard of, of wine. It's like looking into the eye of a duck. And sucking all the fluid from its beak. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it kind of explains, like, why in particular Bernard is drawn to the, the, the bookshop. As you say, he's not interested in really books or people. He just wants an excuse to hang out with his mate next door yeah. and drink wine at lunch every single day. And it, it it's kind of, I think, brutally honest about like British culture and things like that and <laughs> stuff that you see all the time. And there's even in like the episode where I think again the second one where they kind of establish how Manny's been hired and it's because Dylan's just Oh, sorry, Bernard is absolutely smashed out of his yeah, face. Yeah. And it's a very funny scene with him in a pub. You know, and he's, his drunk acting is incredible. Like, he's so good at selling it. And like you said, a lot of the decisions and things that they end up doing are the result of drinking too much, basically. And, and uh, as you said, one of my favourite episodes is where they're trying to create wine from that really expensive yeah, wine thing yeah. that they've <laughs> they've drank. And like you said, that, that's a whole episode, literally, it's a bottle episode, really, about a bottle of wine. It's, <laughs> it's really clever. Yeah. <laughs> plus it has the truth that i mean all wine tastes the same no one <laughs> no one knows anything about wine when they say it's expensive it's not really expensive <laughs> but then the kicker is that the wine they do create i think it does it kill the pope yeah so yeah right the, the, the whole episode is about this <laughs> bottle of wine is going to be given to the pope because it's this yeah. bush that has had grapes and it, i think it's a rose bush gets grapes and it's some yeah big moment and so we have like a cold open and then it goes into the episode and by the end they've killed off the pope by making terrible alternative wine and again the funny thing is that's just a button at the end yeah. of the episode that's it's not just like a huge it just ends, point. It just ends on that point yeah it's just there like you blink and you miss it <laughs> and even um Bernard's completely oblivious to it like the joke is he reads something else in the newspaper that gets his attention not the headline yeah it's that it's his birthday <laughs> And so he holds up the, yeah. the front of the newspaper with the story and it goes, it's my birthday and that's how it ends. Yeah, it's so good. It's so, so good, man. And <laughs> I feel like it's it's also a good excuse for 
um, Dylan Rand to exercise some of his stand-up comic mm. points. You know, like, there's a, like you say, a lot of his humour is in it, and there's some of his observations on British society, which I think is just absolutely wonderful. Like, I remember the episode where they go travelling, and it's that <laughs> him just making fun of this idea of cheap flights, and goes, "Oh, cheap flights, wonderful," and he just takes this kind of cynical view of it and being like yeah but then you end up hopping from country to country and that's the joke of that whole episode yeah sorry about the dog so right i have a dog somewhere <laughs> um yeah and the whole cynicalness of this show of its view of um where we are of our country is one of the things that i find really endearing about it is that it it because if if you live in britain you kind of accept that britain has a wealth of issues that are that are long before you were born and are just being play, built upon as you get older. Things are just going to mm-hmm. get a bit worse as things going on. That's kind of the, the feel I get from this. So that again, back to that point about um, corporate bookshops that comes up that they're not better than these bookshops. They're just yeah. a factor of living in Britain is that, Anything that was once independent is now going to be a massive shop that has 50 chains across the country. Mm. And then the flight one, they go through 15 or 16 different countries to do their Mm. very cheap holiday. And that's the thing. We have very cheap holidays. Well, we did. I don't know if they're cheap anymore because of one thing and another. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, there, there are so many episodes that are really effective at putting apart a particular thing about being British or about, living in britain and it's it's mm. like i'm a massive cinephile i've gone to the cinema but the episode that mm. bernard goes to the cinema and pays like 20 pounds yeah. for popcorn and a drink <laughs> right. speaks to me because i brought a yeah. drink last night and i think it was three or four pounds for a watered mm. down pepsi and i was like okay but yeah there are all yeah. these like observations of what it is to live in britain and it's not very positive but we're living in britain but you know mm. they they endure it because that's where they are so true and yeah that, that whole cinema thing I, it's funny then and it's funny now like it's again a lot of the jokes that still resonate i mean i even love the, the there isn't a thread line after that that he then goes and gets a job because <laughs> uh, he gets locked out so he gets a, a job in like a takeaway shop in like just a to chicken avoid and the rain. shop and it's even that like little brief gag where like it's the same guy that he spoke to yeah. in the cinema like and that that's a really good commentary on you know like people working minimum wage jobs and trying to support them but it's a throwaway gag it's not like a big social commentary it's not like the whole episode it's just a brief moment and then it just moves on like you said it's it's this thing of just like accepting life in britain it accepts (laughs) these it just throws these things out of like oh yeah this is how it is and then you kind of just you carry on which i think is just brilliant yeah totally and i i love the episode it also has my favorite cameo from pete i can't remember his surname but Sarah. Oh, so I'm going to find because I've got all the uh, the cast up here. So I'd love to go through this. Uh, which one are you referring to? Is it the one where he, where he orders the the burger and then he just, no? Like, so it's it's um, Fran's storyline, which is where the oh Peter Serafinowicz. Yeah, so he has this amazing way of saying Fran, which I won't try and emulate because the way he says it is just phenomenal. And uh, that might actually be one of the first episodes of a TV show that I saw that was about. Uh, female self-pleasure because it's not really a subject from the 2000s That's true. and Fran's yeah. entire story is that she's turned on by this guy's voice but can't mm. stand him so she yeah. lives listen to the shipping forecast which she's doing and it's again <laughs> odd bit surreal but hilarious and so yeah it is and it's great use of of, uh, of Peter Serafinovich's voice I mean he's an amazing oh, actor in general yeah. but yeah, the character he plays is called Howell Granger, which is just a great name for a radio presenter. <laughs> and it's it's one of those, again, like, you just look at, I'm looking at the cast now, and you mentioned, you know, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost is in this. Um, I'm pretty sure in the first episode, yeah, Martin Freeman's in there. Yeah. Like, a lot of big British actors, even Craig Parkinson, you know, there's loads of guys that you'll watch it, and you go, oh, I know that. Olivia Coleman's in here, like... There's tons of these characters because this is this was then they were starting out. Yeah, it feels almost like this is a, a show that drew in a lot of the other actors in Channel Four comedies at the time would come on to this show. Yeah, and because so like David Williams, I think is in the second episode as a customer, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, so it's like before Olivia Coleman was an Oscar-winning actress, 
and it's yeah. before Martin Freeman was in The Hobbit and Sherlock and all all these actors mm. have gone on to be huge, but they pop up for like a scene in uh in black books. And they do and they have oh, great fun of it. They always have great fun of their cameos. So like uh Olivia Corman is part of a particularly disastrous hen party and yeah, it right. works really well. And because <laughs> Olivia Corman uh, is a phenomenal comedy actress as well as a phenomenal, you know, serious actor. Mm. Mm. She is phenomenal in comedies, and this is probably just before she did Peep Show, so that's mm. about where she is. And yeah, and it's just this kind of show that kind of brings in all these uh, TV sitcom actors of the time. And f- lucky for them, most of them have gone off to be stars of huge franchises and have gone on to do amazing things. So it just gives it this quality of being a time capsule of the early 2000s Channel 4 comedy but in a really mm. effective way. Absolutely. It really, really is. And and as you say, what it does nicely with a lot of these these cameos, as you just said, is it does make good use of them, which is really cool. So it's nice sort of like you say, looking back at these people that are now like Oscar winning actors and just seeing them have a bit of fun <laughs> in a really daft sitcom. Yeah. And I'm curious, do you have like a favourite um guest character? I mean, I can think of several that I love, but yeah, are there any that kind of leap out to you? Well if it's not uh Pete Sarah's Peter Serafinowicz. If it's not him, but that I've got the name in front of me, I'm yeah. cheating. But yeah. <laughs> if it's not him, because that's just a general love of him, but I think he is well used yeah. in this, even if it's kind of similar to his spaced persona in, in that it's all about mm. the voice. Uh, yeah, I like the crazy Simon Pegg we get. So we get Simon Pegg yes. at the head of Goliath Books, and he's just wonderfully passive aggressively terrifying in it. Yeah, he is, isn't he? And he does yeah. it so well. Uh, and I think Martin Freeman is great fun in the first episode, I think. Mm. But then I really like that storyline. But it is hard to pick one mm. because I think they are so well used. Like Johnny Vegas is in it for an episode and he is yeah. wonderfully seedy as the terrible landlord of Fran's <laughs> flats who's put in the yeah. additional flat and stolen some of her floor space. Which again is commenting yeah. on how terrible it is to rent. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's definitely something that's become a lot more relevant since um yeah, yeah. so i maybe johnny vegas but simon Pegg's utterly deranged performance is is wonderful and it's it's probably one of his most enjoyable performances of any of his that i've watched like and not linked mm. to an edgar wright product like edgar wright gets the best work mm. out of peg but yeah oh for sure him as a deranged mm. bookshop manager who's just passive aggressively trying to destroy manny is is wonderful <laughs> <laughs> is that the whole episode with that where he's he tries to get him to cut his hair yeah. and that's like the final straw and he like runs out of the shop like his and... he, his metaphor about football and then there's someone on the pitch who's wearing sandals and then yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it just goes off on what like you said he's uh, yeah passive aggressive and terrifying is definitely the two words and i i uh, not to that extent but i've definitely worked with people in shops and other places who are like oh, that yeah. and that's the thing there's oh, yeah. a observation going on there and a lot of the cameos are observations of stuff that like are built into mm. what the show is the kind of commentary it has on britain is there in how it uses its cameos yeah so she used to uh come into the shop to see me and bernard it was great we, we used to have, uh... i took a risk when i employed you manny don't eat muffins when i'm developing you <laughs> i took a risk when i gave you a job a lot of people would have said, who is this rudderless hippie? How do I get away from him? Has he got a hunting knife strapped to his shin? <laughs> but I saw through that. But you have to work for me, OK? OK. We're okay. your friends now, Manny. Yes, I know. Mm? Thank you, Evan. OK. Now, one of our valued younger customers has blocked up the toilets with monster munch. <laughs> now, I need that toilet back in play. Let's approach that as a team, shall we? How can we make that happen? OK, uh, we could uh, phone for a uh, plug. Go team! Ah, uh, yes, exactly. And it's, but it's always to, I think, the betterment of, of the episodes. You know, I mean, I, I'm just looking through the cast now. I love, I love Rob Brydon's little role as just the boss that's just angry and screaming at everybody. But you never find out what he does either. Like the running <laughs> joke of that office is like, you don't. You know, Fran goes in, has no idea what she's supposed to be doing in this job. And then she does a presentation, leaves, 
still has no idea and and you as the audience are none the wiser either like at no point does does the episode ever give away what any one person's <laughs> job is in that office and it's just genius like it's such a confusing but brilliant use of those characters yeah yeah rob brian's great in it i also i like it when there are actors who are in it and then got into bigger things so there's yeah, uh totally. dot from line of duty is in the bookies episode and yeah. he's one of my favorites and a not Absolutely. dissimilar character he's not dissimilar from how he is in line of duty and i forget the name of the actor yeah. but in the yeah. one where manny basically becomes a police detective by mistake because he's read too many (laughs) police detective novels and drunk too much coffee and he's got a leather jacket and the the police detective (laughs) he ends up with i believe is in the dark knight as the police commissioner it's uh, it's colin mcfarlane's the actor yeah and it's just inspector norris yeah when you see people from black books in big hollywood shows it takes me right back to their bit in black books and it's lovely thank you for bringing that to my attention because do you know what i was just thinking like yeah what did i see him in yeah you're yeah. right he's the commissioner in, in um in uh batman begins and dark knight respectively like yeah and just he's in it for like five minutes is this yeah london police officer and he's like and again they lean into a lot of these like tropes and stereotypes and i think doesn't that episode end with manny having a breakdown in front of a suspect yeah so like, he has a breakdown and he gets out of being it and then he sits <laughs> The running joke is that he might sit poorly on a chair because he keeps sitting on it yeah. with the back <laughs> facing him and then he sits really badly and that's how it ends. But yeah, yeah. It, he is very honest with this criminal and this criminal just confesses to things because he thinks it's... Because he doesn't get what's going on and so he just confesses to, so he can go yeah. away. <laughs> and that whole bit where he chases the, the man around the street yeah. for the handbag and then as soon as the man turns around, he's like, hang on a minute. And <laughs> he just carries on jogging <laughs> past him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, just as like a whole episode that just plays with tropes of of comedy of uh, cop shows, but again, it, it's not like the big thing. It's just a beat and then it moves on, yeah. and it's but it's very very funny and honest and um yeah. I mean, there's so many like you said, Craig Parkinson. I love as as Martin the Tout that whole thing of of Bernard's problem with gambling, which totally makes sense. Yeah, it lines yeah. up with the character. No, he's a destructive, addictive personality and. and- yeah. Every time he has a new interest, like when he has an interest in a girl, it gets yeah. obsessive and weird and he sends too he many does. gifts and bad poems. Um Was it the, the summer girl one? Yeah, yeah, it's when he wants to find <laughs> a summer girl and Manny keeps talking about if it gets to eighty eight degrees or something like that, and he has Dave syndrome and so again yeah. but again, so you've got all, all <laughs> a lot of the episodes are just them picking up on the character's yeah. particular weirdness so bernard's obsessive mm. and self-destructive manny is is odd and has all these odd things and that mm. kind of feeds into episodes and then fran is just kind of a bit lost so we either have her trying to find a job or dating people and mm. it all comes back to the trio coming back together most times and then the show ends and it ends nicely well not nicely and it's but... one of well yeah it's one of those funny enough that it fits into that category of sitcom where like no one seems to learn or grow. It's just like the status quo is maintained usually by the end of an episode. No one's really learned anything from their experiences, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Again, it's a, it's a type of sitcom that at times can be quite fun to watch because it's just mm. different from, from the whole, like now what did we learn everybody? And <laughs> moral you know, of the week. Like, yeah, exactly. None of that here. Like these characters, like you, like we said earlier, one of them gets his best friend in prison for killing the Pope. <laughs> Doesn't even register that that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> like it just ends and he carries on with his life. And it's it's probably why it's a good thing there are only 18 episodes because yeah. uh, the shows that out say they're welcome for me are the ones that are long and uh, no one really learns anything and it's just repeating the same thing as so you get to a point five, six, mm. seven seasons in where you're just a bit tired of the show whereas this is three uh, series six episodes each and done yeah that's it short sweet they all have their crazy adventures and that's fine and it's like you say it's it does uh it does i think therefore benefit with repeat viewing yeah because you know what you're in for is kind of that comforting part of watching a sitcom and, and there's so much great stuff here i mean i just flashed one of my personal favorite episodes it has to be one of the best episodes when Manny realizes he can play the piano, which is a great use of Bill Bailey's <laughs> yeah, musical talent. Yeah. But the whole thing's, obs- and it's like, it's, I think it's probably one of the best episodes of the series because it's just it being the most silly and absurd. 
and it brings all three characters together, you know, in a really wonderful way where they're all trying to fake playing the piano whilst Bill Bailey's Manny is inside <laughs> with spoons hitting the keys. And it's like, and it, it's one of those images that's just so iconic. And it feeds <laughs> into some of their worst traits so that the, yeah, yeah. Um, Bernard and Fran are both lying for different reasons. Yeah. Fran, because she thought she wanted to play the piano and then found out it was hard, so wanted to stop playing the piano. And Bernard, mm. because there's a girl involved. And so yeah. he's going to lie about how great he is. And then Fran, yeah. being Fran, takes it further to put him into a worse situation. So she uh, basically argues he's the Renaissance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it, it just ends with them doing a dual piano and like and then Manny trying to cover for both yeah, of them yeah. desperately. And it's just, it's like the perfect kind of summation of all three characters and how they work so well off each other. Like you say, generally Fran and Bernard being awful and Manny kind of left somewhere in the middle, balancing it all out. But it's it's just a great episode. It's one of my favourites. It's, yeah, it's it's such a rare show, I think. And, and as you say, I find it fascinating because if you watch this and you watch um, Father Ted, you mentioned, as you mentioned, IT Crowd, yeah. he's kind of similar because Graham Linehan has had a, a hand in all three. Yeah. And I feel like they're really good ones to watch in succession. So if people are listening, they're like, yeah, do you know what? I really love Black Books. And you've not seen IT Crowd, you've not seen Father Ted. I'd say to go and watch those because if you love everything about this and what you're hearing about this, like those are two excellent shows. And similar to this, aren't they? they yeah, mean, yeah. And I think short, uh, short seasons. Particularly Father Ted. Father Ted for me is particularly because there's definitely a lot of the, um, it's not quite politics in this, but in Father Ted it is politics. It's all about the Catholic Church and there's a lot of stuff in that. Yeah. About how terrible the Catholic Church has been and continues to be and and that's all bred into it. Plus there's also destructive characters who have their own terrible impulses. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Ted is is there because he uh stole money essentially or mis yeah. uh, misappropriated funds and then that's jack's right. there and mm-hmm. he's an alcoholic and destructive and all this stuff is in there as well and then it feeds into this and then you get to the it crowd which uh, i think softens some of the commentary but has still mm. that kind of uh grouping of people that are, that are not really right for each other but are bound together yeah exactly it's it's a really good use of all of those characters and that kind of style and like you said this is just what another example of that but yeah i feel like where it changes because my understanding is i think didn't graham linhan had a had a hand in like the first so yeah so he is so he is the first series and then it became entirely uh dylan Dylan project and there are other writers involved Mm. going forward but it is dylan's for the next two seasons and you you can kind of see a shift. It kind of gets mm. odder as it goes on and more surreal and more willing to have um, yeah. odd episodes. Whereas uh, it feels definitely at the start that it's it's kind of in this box that has to be in about people running a bookshop and coming together. And then, then it gets mm. odder. And, and it's there at the end of series one that it's getting odder and surreal. But then when Graham leaves, it kind of just goes full tilt into being whatever Dylan wants it to be. Yeah, exactly. Whatever thing's caught his attention, he just wants to shine a light on it and have these three characters just run around and <laughs> be really, really bizarre. But I, I'm just curious, do you have a favourite episode then out of all of this? Because there's, there's uh, quite a, a lot of moments we've talked about. What are my favourite episodes? So there, are, there mm. are, There's like one a series I could bring up. I think the winemaking sure. episode is, is so spot on. Yeah. Uh, but that's mostly because of Manny and Bernard's storyline. I think Fran's one is not great in that episode, but I think that Bernard and Manny are so good mm. in that episode. But it might be... So there's like another one which is kind of like a repeat of that, which is where they write the children's book. And because Fran's story there feels better, it's her going on this horrific, um, horrific um, hen party. I think it's called Elephants and Hens, the episode. Yes, and, that's right. That's uh, right. Because yeah. I think both portions are strong. So like yeah. Bernard and Manny are at their best when they're basically locked in together doing something. And in this, mm. Bernard writes this kind of over 1,000 page text about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> essentially Russian history and how uh, the, the, the Second World War in the 30s of Russia fed into other stuff and all this 
stuff, isn't it? It's meant to be a children's <laughs> book, and then yeah, Bernard right. pushes them to do something else, and so they do a um, yeah. children's book about an elephant who loses a balloon. And I had for a long time a T-shirt that my mm. my partner got me that had the end image from the book, and it says, yeah. "And then they all drank lemonade." And I love that T-shirt. <laughs> but then yeah. Fran in that episode has um, it's great. has this hen party, and there's lots of famous comedians are playing the mm. members of the, the hen party, and they go to this house in the middle of nowhere, and they drink terrible alcohol, and terrible secrets mm. come out in that episode instigated by fran telling people terrible secrets because she's found out that they don't really like it fran basically finds out fairly often that the people outside of bernard and manny don't actually like her or don't don't like who she is and think she's odd um and so she then gets vengeful and her worst traits come out so that's probably my favorite episode but it there are so Mm. many episodes it could have been it could have been fever which is the one where it's really hot and bernard wants a summer girl and fran is losing space in her flat and manny's going insane Mm. because he he is worried about how it's going to get hot for him and what happens when it reaches a certain temperature. So, but I'll, yeah. I'll stick with elephants and hens because <laughs> I just think that because there's these two A and B plotline and both are very strong and very funny mm. and just show the traits, the characters that are most uh, funny. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you do you have a favourite? Just... Yeah, I don't. I, for me, it's probably the piano one, just because again, it's it's really funny just watching just the image of Bill Bailey with like four spoons in <laughs> in hand, smacking strings on a piano is hilarious. And but like you say, I love the elephants and hens one as well because, like you said, it it's when I think the series is at its best when it's really tapping into the worst traits of the characters. Yeah. And you just said something a minute ago that I I think is so true and so funny about this show is is whenever these uh, these characters we're introduced to the people that are outside of the main three. And it's always shocking when you're like, how do these people have friends outside of, outside of each other? And you learn quite quickly, like, Oh, they don't have them for very long or they're people that they're kind of related to, or they sort of know. But yeah, you said, whenever they do spend time with people outside of the main group, it never ends well. Like there's always something that goes horribly wrong. And like you say, it's usually because of what the characters are doing to these people. Like their worst traits come out. And I just thought of another episode, I can't remember what it's called, but where Dylan Moran is kicked out of a friend's house. Yeah. Yeah. Like for a meal. And he spends the whole episode trying to figure out what he did. And he can't remember because he was so blindingly drunk. <laughs> and it just gets progressively worse. Like as the episode goes on, it just builds up and builds up. And then you realize what he's done. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> it's just so bad. And if everyone in this show was as broken and destructive as these three are, I don't yeah. think I'd particularly like the show. I think it would be too much. But because mm. these three are just this this pool of chaos that's going yeah. round, and then they interact with people and they make their lives worse and then carry on. And, and we never quite mm. see the repercussions of them being these pools of chaos this like whirlwind of chaos but it's funny mm. to watch them destroy the people around them but we also know that they're not everyone not everyone's like them so there are better examples that there are better mm. people out there and so again it's the whole thing of i might not really like these three because bernard is well awful manny's pretty yeah. uh annoying at times and fran is is wonderfully destructive and uh has all these awful traits to her and mm. but i enjoy watching them do their stuff <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's like you said it's that kind of perfect storm of people just just yeah being weird and bouncing off each other and having these bizarro adventures but but it's fun yeah it's, it's really fun and, and like it's, it's really funny and the comedy mm. really lands and from uh Funny one-liners from great interplay, mm-hmm. from slapstick, from surreal images passing by. So, uh, yeah, family getting eaten by a sofa that they've got, and then it's just being observed by yeah. Bernard, and then it carries on, <laughs> and all this stuff, all, all this kind of, all these different comedy types are playing into this, and it it does it all so well. It can be mm. silly and surreal and uh, kind of dumb. And it can be really smart and funny and insightful about the world around it. And the two can mm. sit side by side in the same ep- in the same um, scene. Yeah, uh, it's even I remember an early episode where I think Manny 
buys a bunch of books and like gets this the bookshop running properly and we as the audience find out why that doesn't actually work you know and um, Berta comes back and says what have you done and (laughs) and the whole joke is like well actually if you do set it up properly people don't buy books you know and that's the whole joke of the show is 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 it's like he's like yeah no I know I've tried this it doesn't work You know, because you because we watching it think, oh, he just needs to tidy it up and bring <laughs> some stuff in, and people will come. Yeah. And you realize, oh no, people just mill about and want to drink coffee and window shop, which is again a twenty year old observation, which is has never been more true than it is now yeah, today. Yeah. And it's just stuff like that again that's thrown in as a, just like a, a few minutes of plot, and then it just moves on, and it's really really clever. So, like you said, it's it's quite a bizarre sitcom. I don't know if we, I, I think actually. I'm just thinking about the episodes we've done already. It, it is very unique compared to a lot of the other ones we've already discussed. And yeah, I definitely think, as you said, a lot of that comes down to, in particular, Dylan Moran bringing his kind of bizarre comedy <laughs> style to it, which I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm somebody that has all of his DVDs and I've seen <laughs> him live. I could not, I don't know about you, Russell, but when I saw him live a couple of years back, I couldn't tell you what was said. I just remember it being in fits of laughter for like close to two hours. Um, and I had to then go and buy the DVD of that show later <laughs> that year just to find out yeah, what was actually yeah. said in the stand up. His, um, I think I've seen him twice and definitely the first time mm. the thing that stood out was, so it was around the time when we had Nick Clegg and David Cameron and Ed Miliband. And he basically tore apart all three of the parties, all three of the leaders right. and gave them both barrels each. And it was hilarious because and his observations yeah. weren't like the obvious ones. They were mm. much more verbose, much more that there's something about how he constructs his comedy. Yeah. So it's quite complicated what he's saying. And then he says it and it's funny, but it's like, well, no one else could do this. No one else could do what you're doing. And he does it so well. And like Bill Bailey's comedy yeah. is much more why I love Bill Bailey. Cause I've seen him a couple of times is because mm. he does, because he's nice, he does very nice comedy, and he has these great songs, yeah. you have a really enjoyable time, but I think Dylan Moran's comedy is more built into saying really profound, quite downbeat things, but saying them in a way mm. that only he can say. Yeah, it's like wrapped up in these weird metaphors yeah. that, like you said, are on the surface, you're like, what are you talking about? And then you <laughs> think about it and you go, oh, actually, that's really clever. Yeah. That's really insightful. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's so many, and like you said, he he infuses that into this show. Um, I just think it's wonderful for that reason, and I'm so glad you you've brought it to us today. And I I highly recommend people go and watch this. Yeah, I, mean, like, I recommend it's, all the it's shows. But... Probably on Netflix, it's definitely on all four. There's yeah. 18 episodes, are 25 minutes long, so you can do mm. this very quickly. And it's not yeah. it's not like it's not one of those American shows where they're like 300 episodes and. 120 of them are worth watching but you've got to get through all of them to understand the 120 worth watching yes i I will say that as well you're right i feel like i'm quite laid back with stuff like this where i feel i like to give comedies the benefit of the doubt and i'll say well the first season you know we've had this discussion a bunch of times but you know the first season that is a common complaint yeah say a lot of bigger series where it's like oh but it wasn't quite as good but then you think well yeah they were feeling things out and you know you got to know what your audience is and but this show doesn't have that problem. I feel like from if you watch the pilot, it instant it's the kind of show that knows exactly what it is, exactly what it's doing. It knows who the characters are. It knows who its audience is. And so for that reason, it's like, yeah, just watch the pilot. And if you love yeah. it, the rest of it is just as good, if not better. If you don't, fair enough. You know, you, you know what it's... Yeah, yeah you'll know, know why. You'll, you. From the first episode, you'll know if you like it or not. And if you don't like it, you'll mm. know exactly why. And I think that's the thing yeah. with a lot of British comedies is we don't really give our comedies time to have bad seasons. That's, it's That's true. Yeah. Most British comedies are quite short. And if they don't get it, then they're not going to get a second series. They're not going to be recommissioned mm. because uh, we have fewer channels. We have less money, frankly, <laughs> to spend on yeah. this thing. We have a lot of comedy talent <laughs> yeah. out there. There's a lot of comedy talent out there who are desperate for a TV show. So... If, mm. if you can't do it in your first series, there's going to be three, four, five other people who happily take that pot of money and spend it on their one. So I think mm-hmm. I, so I think like something like Black Books is so well written because you kind of can't come in with a 
uh, a lackluster first series. You can't come in with one that only has a couple of good jokes. You have to be instantly great. Mm. And that's the thing with things like uh, Space of This Time or Father Ted Before This, is those two Mm. also both instantly great and instantly uh, well-defined. Something like Friday Night Dinners, for example, is instantly defined Mm. as to what it is. And it instantly has all the elements are there and all the elements of Black Books for how it's going to be is there in the first episode. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it just drops you straight in, and that that's such an interesting point you've brought up, and I think that's true. Yeah, that I guess not an expert, but from what I hear, a lot of behind the scenes stuff is, yeah, there's, there seems like there's a lot less moving parts with British sitcoms yeah, than our American, yeah. and like you say, that's probably just because of the scale of television. Like you said, we we're at this time, especially when this was coming out, it was you know the few domestic channels, and that was kind of it. Yes, yeah, so so, this is this is pre free view, or at least. Yeah, I think this is pre-free view. Mm. And then you yeah, take somewhere like mm. America where there are many channels and now there are many streaming platforms. So there's such yeah. a demand for content in America. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you get something like uh, Ted Lasso, which is one of my current loves, mm. is an American show about mm-hmm. Britain, but it's an American show. It's, it's just sucked in British talent to make it feel a bit more British. Uh, okay. And then with with something like that, it's Apple TV is supporting it. So they can have all the money they need to make it work. They can have all the money they need yeah. for the stars. But I don't think Channel 4 or BBC or any of the other ones have <laughs> enough money to bring in big stars to make their show work. So you've got to have something like Black Books, which comes defined, ready to go, and works not because someone famous is in it, because these three were not famous... And, I mean, beyond Bill Bailey, they're not mm. super famous now. I mean, Tamsin Grieg is never, is never not in work, but she's not a household name, whereas Bill Bailey is a household name because of the persona he's become since. But when this was around, these three were not huge, were not huge names, and so it just yeah. relied upon the writing and the talent, both on and off screen. Mm, definitely. And, it, and it, well, the best part about it, because it's such a simple stripped back format and the way it's filmed and done all of that just comes through you know i feel like it's very raw as when you're watching it it's it's not glossy and and that kind of adds as well to the sort of dour nature of it which i think just gives it that kind of that character and yeah it's just brilliant so i I highly encourage people just like you say if you've seen father ted you've seen it crowd if you've watched any of dylan moran or bill bailey stand yeah if you, you think oh yeah i know these people or like you said Tamsin, Tamsin Grigg in like Friday Night Dinner. Yeah, if, you if you've loved Friday Night Dinner, you should give this a try yeah. because there's a lot of great jumping off points. So it's like definitely give this one a crack, and you'll know straight away by the end of the first episode <laughs> if this is for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say as well, a friend of mine had the little book of calm. Well, uh, and that made me so. I happy. have it right here. <laughs> yeah, my partner got me as a gift, and I, uh, yeah, it's nonsense. It's utter nonsense, but it's hilarious. Oh, so good. Had a drop of lavender to your (laughs) bath. (laughs) Oh, I've loved this. I'm going to have so much fun putting clips for this as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, I mean, is there anything else you want to say about this, uh, this Russell? Oh, um, not particularly. Just that I love it, that I'm probably now going to go Mm. watch it all again, having watched it all to prepare for this. I'll probably go up again and dive into some mm-hmm, of them mm-hmm. uh, it's because it's just exceptional i'm kind of sad that dylan moran has never really done any tv since this is is, is yeah his, his yeah. most uh prominent piece and he just mm. i guess he doesn't need it he's not he doesn't feel like the kind of person who needs to do comedy he does comedy when he wants to do it he'll disappear for a few years and then come back with a show or with something new to say and i quite admire that in him uh, and mm. I'm always happy that Bill Bailey is a success because yeah. a lovely chap and does yeah. good comedy. And as I say, Tamsin Grieg is sensational in whatever she's in and uh, keeps all the pace she's in. So, yeah, I love this show a lot, um, particularly <laughs> those three. Well said. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on to the show and sharing this with us so i guess to take us home where can the good people find you uh so um i release a podcast every wednesday 
under the banner Not Just For Kids. It is a podcast that looks at family films throughout the ages. It was my, uh, hey, uh, 2020 is a weird year. Let's do something to distract from the weirdness. And so I did a podcast about family films. I've done a series on Spielberg as director and producer. I've done Studio Ghibli. Uh, I've done Mm. a a series that looked at the 10 years between Toy Story and Home in a Range. So it's sort of the birth of Pixar that led into the death of 2D animation in in the Hmm. West which is very sad. <laughs> and then um, now I'm doing the 90s because I watched, it's basically when I first went to the cinema was with in the 90s. The first time I went to Blockbuster was mm-hmm. in the 90s. So all these films I am just wallowing in. So I've done a bit on Mouse Hunt. I've done some stuff on, uh, what else have we done? Nutty Professor, The Mask. Uh, we're going to get into yeah. Stargate, Independence Day, uh, The Mummy. We're going to do Brendan Fraser because I love the man. So yeah, so that's 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 where you'll wow. find me. So that's wherever if you're wherever you're listening to this, search for that one too, and you'll find it. And I'm on Twitter at Russ Loves Movies, and I share anything I write, anything that I am thinking about. Mostly, I just retweet people I think are funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's a good use of Twitter. To yeah, I mean, I try and stay that off is. of the arguments that happen on Twitter because they just seem to not really have an endpoint. <laughs> so it seems Agreed. a destructive path to go down. But yeah, that's the uh, best place yeah. to find me at either in your podcast feed. And I get on guests every week, so I get great guests. And uh, on Twitter. Brilliant. Thank you. I would definitely be putting in links to that. And I'll say right now, there sounds like there's a lot of crossover, um, actually, <laughs> with some of the stuff you've talked about with previous guests and their shows and their topics. Yeah. So definitely go and check that out, guys. But thank you so much. No, for thank you so much on. for having me on. This has been really good fun. <laughs> good. It's my pleasure. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Russell for coming on to the podcast and sharing your love of black books with us. I had an absolute blast making this episode and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Be sure to go and check out Russell's podcast, Not Just For Kids. It's absolutely wonderful. I've been checking out a few episodes since the recording and I've put the links in the description for you as well as all of the uh, usual places you can go and find him and the podcast. Go and check it out. Go and give it a follow. You won't regret it. I also want to give another thank you to Alex Jenkins, who designs the artwork for the show. If you love what you see in the logo, his details are also linked in the description for you of this podcast. You can go and find him and commission him for your own work as well. A big thank you to all of you who've been checking out the show, who've been leaving me reviews. There's another one that's just come in. I want to read it out and give a massive thank you to the person who gave me a lovely five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Pepperoni Prince, another fantastic name. He says, I'm a fan of Fundamentals. Harley is a great host, and this is a wonderful format for a podcast. Nice and simple. Thank you so much for leaving that. That's actually made my day. And if you want to earn a shout out just like the Pepperoni Prince, then by all means, make sure that you do that on your favorite podcatcher. I believe Apple is still the best one to do it on. But of course, if you have done it on another platform, that's brilliant. Please make sure you let me know so I don't miss it. You can find me in the details that are in the show notes and let me know. Of course, you've earned a shout out. That's it from me. I'll be back again in a week's time with another sitcom and I'll leave a little hint as to what is coming up next for you. So until next time, stay tuned and stay safe. God, you've got to tell him tonight. You've got to tell him now. I know. I can't believe it. How long have you known about this? About three weeks. What, you've known for three weeks? You didn't think to tell me? I tried. Not that hard. Don't argue, my love. It's not worth it. I love you, Dawny. Yeah, you know when we were away and I said I had something to tell you? Yeah. And I told you about Nessa being in the original lineup of All Saints, but she had to leave because she didn't get on with Shazney. I was trying to tell you then. What, so you made all that up? No. That was true. It was a power struggle. Look, none of this matters who told you when and what have you. What matters is the only person who hasn't been told is the only person who should have been told, and he sat out there. Who? Bryn? No! Smithy. I come to Wales. You can come up here. I go to church with you. We just hang out. You know, like best mates do. Do you think Mick will mind if I finish his last slice of pizza? So what if he does? 
I'll back you up, cos that's what best mates do. Oh, Smithy. I got something to tell you. What? I'm pregnant. And you're the father.